0: Uh, Kids, we're not going to have you come up front today, but we are going to do a children's message. So I want you to stand up where you are. If you want, you can stand up on the chairs. You can have somebody hold you. You can go up on somebody's shoulders if you want. All right? Give me a wave so I can see you. All right? Now, uh, oh, Terry was down. I was going to have us pan out if we can. We're going to take a moment to do this because we have friends who aren't here with us, right? They're still at home. And so when he's ready, we're going to pan out and we're going to give all of our friends at home a wave, okay? So stand up tall, get high so they can see you, all right? So then turn around, look at the camera, and let's give our friends at home a wave. Hello, friends at home. Wish you could be here with us. Hope to see you soon. All right, good. All right, you can stay standing, kids, if you want. Okay, so the last few weeks we've been uh, preaching through 1 Corinthians, right? we've been looking at giving up our rights, what we are entitled to, and sacrificing ourselves, our desires for the sake of the gospel, that others would hear about the death and resurrection of Christ, that they would come to faith in him, they would believe and that they would be saved. And uh, we sacrifice ourselves, we give of ourselves for the, the gospel to have effect in other people's lives, for their spiritual growth, for their benefit. That idea is summed up in one of our verses for this morning. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24. It says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so you are not to live your life and do things that would be good just for you. You're to live and, and think, be thoughtful, and act in ways that would be good for other people, the people who are around you. And so as you think about this verse, who is your neighbor? Who are the people around you? Well, it's probably mom and dad, right? Brothers and sisters. It's the other people in our church, or people around us. It's uh, when school's in session, it's teachers and other students, right? It's people who live close to you. The houses are, are close by you. Those are the people close to us, right? So it's these people that you are to be desiring good for, And you are to live your life for their good, to be thoughtful of what is best for them. And so how do you do that? How might it look for you to live in that way as a kid, as a child, to live with thoughtfulness and the good in mind of others? Well, here's some examples. Maybe today, instead of going out to play after lunch, maybe you ask mom if you can help do the dishes, right? Would that be looking out for the good of her? Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? How about if your sister is supposed to do the vacuuming or the sweeping, and instead you say, hey, let me do that for you today. Would that be looking out for her good? Yeah, it would. What if your brother's job is to take out the garbage, and you choose to do it for him? that Would that be look, doing the uh, good for somebody else? How about if somebody near you is maybe sick, and they have to stay home? You could maybe pray for them. Or maybe send them a card that would be thoughtful in doing something for the benefit, the good of somebody else. So there's lots of ways to give up what we would want, what we would desire, in order to serve others, in order to do good to them. But these things aren't easy for us, are they? You know what? They aren't easy for adults either. It's difficult to give up our desires for the benefit of somebody else, to put aside our selfishness and be thoughtful of others. And so why? Why should we do these things? Well, a couple reasons. One is to obey God's Word. He tells us to do that. Another way is for God's glory. So another one of our verses today, in verse 31, says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so when you live your life for the good of others, God is made known. And there's opportunities for the gospel to spread, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, to, to get to other people who haven't heard it before. God's kingdom has expanded, it's grown, and God is glorified. And so kids, let's be people who live not to our own good, not to our own benefit, but to the good and the benefit of others around us. All right, Pastor Jeremy.
1: Thanks, Pastor Jeff. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn there with me. We are finishing chapter ten this morning, God willing, uh, and then we'll go to chapter eleven.
0: <sighs>
1: this has been a while since people have laughed. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I was uh, the last two days spent my time cleaning windows. That's what I did, and I borrowed some of those Norwex cloths from a few of you, and you don't realize how dirty the window is until you clean it. And then once you've cleaned it and you're cleaning a window that the sun is shining through, you realize how bad of a job you did cleaning it. Um, In fact, I read on one of the bottles of the cleaning solution that I didn't use because I used the Norwex, it said, don't clean windows when the sun is shining. And I understand why now. Um, What does that have to do with this? I'm not sure. I'm just kidding. Actually, I do know. Um, the Bible is what we come to to see how dirty we are, if we can say it like that. We all, we all think we're pretty good, if you can be honest with all I, I think I'm a really good pastor. I think I'm an incredible husband and father. Um, right? We're, we're pretty high on ourselves often. We, we really think we're something. If that's disappointing to you that I'm that kind of prideful, uh, you should look in the mirror potentially. Um, We're like that. We think we're the best. In fact, one of the running jokes Mandy and I have is um, she'll say, how was the sermon? I say, it was the greatest that I've ever preached. Right? Just get it out of the way. Why pretend? That's what we're like. When we come to the word of God, if we're humble, if we have tender hearts, we can see immediately that we're not that. That's what God's word does for us it is a mirror held up by God that we can see like window cleaning that we are not that clean and even when we think we've cleaned up when the sun hits it we we realize we we've got a long ways to go and and you're very aware that Paul is writing to a local church in this letter, he's writing to a church that he had pastored, that he established, that he pastored. He knows them really well. And they think they're all that. They think they're incredible. They think they're the greatest church in the history of churches. They're especially proud of what they know, of their brain power. They got the mega mind. They're, they are something and, until the word of God comes to them. And what I want you to do is I, you need to have faith as a local church to be okay being like the church in Corinth, to be a church filled with people who think they're something and, and really aren't, to be okay to, to be a local church where people who sit next to you really do have sin in their lives. And, and it really does need to be addressed and not to be shocked by their sin or your sin. Why are you so surprised at the sin of others? Why are you so surprised at your sin? Well, it's because we really don't have faith to believe what the Bible says about us. Uh, and the main thing that we're going to see here this morning is it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about the greatness of your family. It's, it's not about us as a church. It's about God's glory. That's it. It's about his glory. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And I think, especially in this time where we live in a society that is pretty unstable, it, it is up and down, it's shifting sand, it is unsteady to, 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 to hear again this reality that there's one thing that we're for. Doesn't matter what's going on around us, doesn't matter how unsteady is, we are here for one thing, it's for God's glory, that's it, that's it. Forget about governor's orders. Forget about it all. Whatever you do, in whatever circumstances you're in, live for the glory of God. That's it. That's actually a life well lived. Living that kind of life, striving by faith, by the grace of God to live for his glory, is a good life. That's it. Let's uh, read the text. I'm going to read verses 23 to 33. I'll pray from Psalm 119, and then uh, we'll look at what it means to glorify God. All things are lawful. And some read, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your own conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of what I give thanks, for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of the many that they might be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. You are our portion, O Lord. May you give us the grace to keep our promise to keep your words. We come to you asking for your grace with all of our hearts, so please be gracious to us now as we hear your word according to your promise. May we turn our feet to keep your testimonies. May we hasten and not delay to keep your commandments. There are many wicked in this world, and their cords ensnare us. Help us to never forget your law. May we rise at midnight to praise you because your rules are righteous. May we be companions of those who fear you, those who keep your precepts. The earth, O oh Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Please send us your Holy Spirit now to teach us your statutes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right there, there could be potentially some confusing realities in this text, and it begins right in verse 23. All things are lawful, and as I said, some English translations include for me. The for me Included in some of those translations is to set it apart from, but not all things are helpful. Okay, so all things are lawful for who? Me. But who aren't all things helpful for? All things are lawful for me, but who might not be built up by me making use of all these lawful things? Others. And I, I, let me reveal part of my heart. I have always read that verse as if both halves are talking about me. Just to show you my own conceit. Just my initial reading of this verse has always been, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful for me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things will build me up. And I've often used that to apply to what I watch or what I take part in. There are some things that I I can do anything, but not all things are going to be helpful to me spiritually. Well, that's true, but that's not what this text is saying. I thought it might be helpful for you at the beginning. Aren't we so selfish when we're reading the Bible? Aren't I? Like We read it immediately and it's me always. Me, me, me right there. And it's not. The whole point of this entire section beginning back at verse 8 is, you have great liberty, particularly in regards to what you eat and drink, but exercise that liberty out of what is best for others spiritually. And here is he's summing it all up, and yet I immediately come to it and, and see myself in both half of the verses. How about you? So he gets right then to the heart of it all. He's going to help us define what it means to live for God's glory. We've heard this phrase over and over and over again in our lives. We realize that everything in the world is for God's glory. But what does that mean on Monday morning? What does that mean, boots on the ground? How do you actually live for God's glory? That's what we're going to see in this text, and he gives some very practical, helpful um, teaching on how to do that. And, and and here is the line of thinking: you've heard it before as we've gone through this. First, in Christ, well, actually, first because God is the creator of all things, and now in Christ, you have just about complete freedom as far as what you eat and drink. So when he says all things here, he doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. We live in a world without rules or without laws the context here is specifically in regard to eating and drinking, specifically in regard to in the Corinthian time when they actually had real idols and they actually had real temples and they actually had real feasts where actual meat was really sacrificed to the idols and you could actually go and buy that meat in the market. As as far as a believer, because everything in creation is God's, feel free to eat it, no problem at all. If they just sacrifice it to Satan himself, throw it on the grill, enjoy so we have that kind of freedom in Christ. That's number one. Number two, you need to learn to use that freedom maturely. We need to learn how to use our freedoms in Christ in maturity and in love for how it's going to impact another person in regards to their relationship to Jesus Christ. So you have great freedom, amen, amen, But learn to use your freedom in love. It's it's somebody who's really immature, right? When you're 16, when I was 16, I got my driver's license. I used it oftentimes with real immaturity. My dad had a work pickup. He was an electrician, and it was usually in the back filled with um, all of his materials and tools. And I would take the truck out and drive it in a way that... A 16-year-old drives it, but I was too dumb to pick up all the stuff that had flown all over the back. And I, I was immature in my use of my freedom. And my dad had sent him and said to me, first he'd make me clean it up, and then he'd say you he can't use it for a couple weeks, and then he'd say, are you really that dumb to do things that you know you shouldn't and then not clean up after yourself? Right? Apparently. Right? And so you have to learn how to use your freedom with wisdom. You have to learn how to use your freedom considering other people on the road, if you will. Right? And so that, that's what he's going to tell us to do it. And then he's going to say, and here's the standard. Use your freedom to the glory of God. Use your freedom in a way that brings God maximum glory, maximum honor, maximum praise. So we, we had a, a family who recently moved, and he, he, I was talking with him about parenting one time, and he said, one of the things we consistently said to our kid when they were coming to us with decisions, should I do this, Dad, should I not do that? What do you think about this? One of the things they would consistently say to their kids, well, what's going to bring God the most glory? Have you thought through your decision in light of which decision is going to be glorifying to God the most? Both, both decisions might be right. Neither of them are wrong in themselves. But which one? Do you think, as you evaluate all the positive and negatives, which one's going to bring God the most glory of God? That's the principle by which we should live. Right? So even as we gather here this morning, what is going to most glorify God? Some of you, it is most glorifying God to not be here because of people in your lives who might get sick. For some of you, it's most glorifying to God to be here. So... This is one of the great freedoms we have in Christ. You have to look at God's word with prayer, probably seeking the counsel of others, and ask this question as the first and foremost question of all, what is going to most glorify God? That's what we're looking at in this text. Well, let me start with God. You know, um, I have said before, and really caused some consternation among parents, that you as parents should let your kids eat dessert first every once in a while. Just let them go right at it. put the the food that they don't want to eat there and then put the dessert and just let them have at the dessert. All right, big deal. And I want to do that right now. I just want to get right to the dessert. I I, I want to get right to the best part of this. I I want to go right to 31, verse 31. And I just want you to consider something. I, I hope this helps you enjoy God. I hope this helps you find some delight in God. Um. Let me let me start with this way. The term leisure, that term is actually a, a religious term. It's in relation to rest on the seventh day. Leisure had once been understood in our culture not as kind of hammock or fishing or golfing or kind of doing recreational things. Leisure was understood to be taking time in your life to think about God. That's what the term leisure was. It was taking a Sabbath to worship and um, behold and contemplate and think about the greatness and the grace and the power and the majesty of God. That, that's what leisure was understood to be. And so I, I want to I give you some leisure here. And, and what I want you to think of, so we read in verse 31, whether you eat or drink... Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I, I, I hope I can put this in a way that's, that's going to help you understand what I'm trying to get at. Okay, so every human being who's ever been created, this is what we're for, right? We have 8 billion or so people on this globe right now. I don't know how many ever redeemed, but se- several billion, I hope, are actually Believers in the Lord Jesus, this this entire world has been created for us to have dominion over, to use, as believers to do one thing: glorify God. And I just want you to ask, I want you to ask a question: What does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about God? Let me use a sports analogy. Um, Right now, the state of Wisconsin, our NBA team, the Milwaukee Bucks, has the player that is widely considered the best player in the world at the moment. The Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think I said his name right. He's actually from Greece. He plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. He won the MVP last year, and he was looking like he'd win it again. He would have been back-to-back MVP. He's young. He's 25, 26, something like that. He's incredible. So of all the NBA players, he gets the most glory. He gets the most accolades. People talk about him in the most glorying terms. Why? Because that's what he is. In the basketball sense, that's what he's worthy of. Okay? So when we read here, Every, this whole entire world, every human being, particularly God's redeemed, you should be doing one thing in whatever you're doing, that is giving God the glory. That's not only telling you what to do, that's telling you something about God. God is the kind of being that is worthy of that kind of glory. That's telling you how incredibly, massively, majestically great God is no other being is worthy of this kind of focus and adoration and praise and glory when you read do everything all human beings and all creation to the glory of God that should be telling you God is glorious God is incredible God is unlike any other being that I've ever encountered. Let me ask you this. If you have, you've seen it. If, have you seen a family where the parents make everything to revolve around the child and the destruction that brings? And you sit there and watch it and cringe as a kid throws a fit and the parents do everything they can do to placate the child. We watched uh, uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory a few days ago. And you have these four absolute brats. And one in particular, the, um, the first, uh, I think it's the second one. What's her name, you remember? Violet. Just, I mean, I wanted to reach into the screen. But that's what her parents have made her, right? Because everything's about her. The world revolves around her, it's all about her. Every need, anything, at any time. Give, give, give to her. Make sure she's happy. Make sure she has everything. And what does it do to her? It destroys her. It destroys her family. Why? Because human beings cannot carry the weight of that glory. We're not meant to have that kind of focus. We're not meant to have that kind of attention. We're not meant to have it be all about us. We can't handle it. Look at young child actors and then what they're like when they're adults. They can't handle that kind of focus and pressure and money and fame and adoration. We can't handle it as humans. If you're a Marvels fan, right, they have these five infinity stones and no human being can handle the stones, they're not strong enough, they're not good enough, they're not powerful enough. We cannot, nothing in the universe can handle this kind of glory but God. God in himself is so great, is so powerful, is so strong, is so wise, is so good that he alone can handle this kind of adoration and praise and focus and glory. This is telling us something about the nature of God, the very being of God. He deserves all glory Because he alone is worthy of all glory and he alone can handle this kind of attention and focus and glory. This is why all the songs we sing are focused on him. But isn't that freeing? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Give him your attention. Give him your focus. He is God. He is the eternal, uncreated self-existing, self-sufficient being that has no beginning and ending. He exists in himself. He is all glorious. And, and it is wonderful for you and I when we get that, when, when it finally grabs hold of us to give our attention, to give our focus to him. It's very freeing for you. It's, it's the definition of goodness in a human. Is it, to be a good human means to be all about God's glory, means to get beyond yourself, means to not care so much about what happens to you or what others think of you or what others say of you or how others are treating you because it's about God's glory. It's so very freeing. So very freeing to move out from under the condemnation of others and what they say and think about you. Who cares? I mean, pastors and elders are consistently criticized. We do the wrong things. We say the wrong things. We're not loving enough. We're not this enough. We're not, and it's all true. We are not as loving as we should be. We are not as courageous as we should be. We are sometimes too soft and sometimes too strong. So what? Get over it. And and you too. Why? It's not about you. Who cares? Did Jesus die or didn't he? Are you forgiven or aren't you? It ain't about you. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. So, so, so that's the first thing here. The rest of it is icing. I mean, the rest of it is how to do it. So how do we do it? How do you glorify God? First, you have to realize how you live really impacts the glory of God. Isn't that something? In the early pages of the Bible, we see the great glory with which God created man. He took six days to fashion an entire world. And then at the end of it, when the world was perfectly formed and he had created a place within that world that was perfectly fit for humans, he created Adam and Eve and put him there and said, the whole thing is yours. It's all yours. Expand the borders of this garden worldwide. Expand my glory worldwide. It's all yours. Exercise dominion. Rule over it. That's who we are. This is what we were created for. Unique among all of the universe. No stars. No galaxies. No oceans. No animal life. No plants. Nothing else. Nothing else. Occupies the position you and I occupy. This is what we're made for. Our lives are not insignificant. They are jam-packed with meaning, with purpose, with worth. Because you were created as a Lord, as a lady, to rule over creation, to bring God glory. That's what you're for. You might live in a little town in a little state and live a little life, but your life is anything but little. When you begin to attach the significance God has created you with to bringing him glory, you can actually begin to live. And notice in verse 31, what does he say to glorify God in? Eating and drinking. (laughs) Is there anything more menial... In your life. He's not saying, glorify God by building a big corporation and employing thousands of people and or glorify God and selling all of your possessions and going to the farthest reaches and preaching the gospel of the Sabbath. No. Whatever you do, eating or drinking, right? Your bowl of Cheerios with two percent milk at least. None of this one percent or skim milk, for goodness sakes. Clog your arteries. You're gonna die. At least enjoy it. Like right? 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 So in the littlest things, you can bring God of God. The eternal God, the God who has always existed, the God who uses the earth as a footstool. As you eat your Cheerios, you can bring him glory. (laughs) And you think your life is nothing? What's wrong with you? And you mope about as if you have no significance? Think about a, a woman who has given her life to her husband and to her home and to her children and is constantly harassed that her life is insignificant. Why don't you do something with your life? What do you do for a living? I'm a stay-at-home mom. Oh, that's nice. And you begin to believe that rubbish because you have forgotten who you are as a created, redeemed woman of God Given dominion over this world and exercising it in your home for the glory of God. As a man, you are given dominion over the fish of the seas and the birds of the air and every creature crawling on this earth. You, as a man, that's why you're here. He has given you hands and a brain and a body to spend exercising dominion, rulership, over this earth, over your wife, over your family, over this church, over this community, for God's glory. Well, how do you do it? I have three ways, real quick. First, you have freedom. All things are lawful. This is in regards to food or drink here. But please first realize your freedom. We got a little taste of it this morning, don't we? When the Supreme Court ruling came down, I was surprised at how happy I was because I was so tired of being told what I could and couldn't do. (laughs) We have real freedom. You and I have incredible freedom in Christ. But with freedom comes real responsibility, doesn't it? To relate it to parenting, wise parents are always preparing their children for the freedom they're about to get. They try to think a couple years ahead. So to go back to our driving example, you don't give them the keys and say, go get it. You give them lots of training. Show them how to use it. Help them to understand the rules of the road. Help them to understand that they're driving a several-ton missile and that it can actually destroy other human beings. Because when you get that freedom, it comes with incredible responsibility. So this isn't a freedom from God's law. God's law is good. It's perfect. It restores the soul. This is a freedom in regards to creation. All things are lawful for me. Eat whatever is sold in verse 25 in the meat market with any raising conscience. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Eat and drink whatever you want with any question of conscience. Enjoy it all. You have incredible freedom. Second, Love. All things are lawful for me, but verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Use your freedom and love. And he defines love here towards the end as doing in verse 33, no matter what the person is, no matter what nation they're of, particularly in the church. That's why the church is listed last in verse 32. He defines love as not seeking your own advantage, but that of the many that they might be saved. So he defines love as what is eternally best for those in your life, whether it's in the church or those outside the church. Now, one of the great mistakes we're making as the church today is we get this principle. We we really do want to see people saved, but we think it's always by compromising. The church has become utterly convinced that the way that you win people to Jesus is to not say all of the things that are true in the Bible, but to keep a bunch of the hard stuff hidden. To be nice, to be soft. That is the definition of love today. And I think it's one reason that the church, it's probably the reason why the church was considered insignificant or unessential in this period. Because the church has become utterly unwilling to stand for the truth. And so why would they come to the church when they can get that everywhere else? When the church has been most essential, it's when the church has been most courageous. And so as you consider love, take care to define it biblically. Love in the Bible is always equated with sacrifice. And sacrifice is always equated with truth. You'll have to lay down your life when you're standing on something firm. You'll never be called to lay down your life when you're jello, And so we love. We love. Our mission is to see as many people come to Jesus as possible. And those people built up in Jesus as far as possible. And so we will use all of the freedoms we've given for that mission. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. That's why you exist as you do. That's why you have the job you do. So that you might see as many saved as possible. So first, you have freedom. Second, you have love. Third, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Verse 30. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So he's connecting here, you living in love with Thanksgiving, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you're following our Bible reading program, you were to read it yesterday. I read it today. Um, I was a day behind. Uh, He connects them loving with being cheerful givers, with supplying the needs of their others, them using their freedom of their possessions to serve others. And he says that he wants them to do it in verse 11 so that Thanksgiving is produced to God if we use our freedom in genuine Christian love, the result is going to be more thanksgiving to God. You've experienced it in your life, right? When you were down and out, when you needed help, and people came and helped, what did it elicit from you? Thankfulness. And so the reason that you use your freedom in love is so that God gets more glory. You see how it works here? It's the great circle of life. This is it. He's given you life and incredible freedom to use in love so that more people bring God glory. And the more that people bring God glory, the more they realize their freedom that they can use in love so they can bring Him more glory. That's what we're doing here. Why are we meeting together as a church? In love, using our freedom, hopefully with wisdom, so that more give thanks to God. That's it. That's it. Let me close with verse 26. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Here's Genesis 1 and 2. God existing in himself for all eternity in triune glory and love. needing nothing, not insufficient at all. And yet in order to display his glory, he determined from eternity to create a world and to fill it with image bearers of his, mankind. He did it by speaking. He did it by speaking from nothing. He spoke and all things came into being so he owns it all. He doesn't only just own the earth. He owns all of the plenty of the earth. He owns it all. Everything, every molecule of water that passes under the, the bridge of the Wisconsin River is God's. Every bud on every tree is the Lord. Every little piece of pollen that irritates your sinuses is the Lord's. Everything is his And he has given it to you and to me to enjoy. What a God. Everything in this world has been created and given to you and to me for our enjoyment. To enjoy to his glory, using it so that others might come to Christ and be built up in Christ. There is no small thing in this world. There is no small thing in this world. Let's pray. Father, help us. These are awesome things. And we are to live them in a world where we are doing warfare with powers and principalities and authorities. And we are to fight. We are to fight until we can't anymore and There's no more breath in our lungs and no more beating of our hearts. And we are to fight using our freedoms for your glory and loving others. And so, God, help us. Help us to exercise this dominion you've given us, to enjoy our freedoms, to use them maturely in love so that you might get all the glory and especially that many might be saved. And so, God, would you do it even now? People are here, people in this live stream, people that might hear it in the future that you might use this, that men and women might be reconciled to you through the shed blood of your son. Because apart from it, we have no hope. And so, God, help us as your church to live in such a way that you are being thanked and glorified more and more. So, God, teach us these things. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. Paul concludes in verse 33 with evangelism. I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they might be saved. All right, so what's something you can do this week in, in the hopes that somebody might be saved? Um, what What's one way you can be evangelistic this coming week? One, one thing uh, for a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, family member, what's one thing to not seek your own profit, but that of others that they might be saved. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. God bless you all. Have a great weekend, Lord. I love you. Great, great day to see you again.